0: Well, take your Bibles with me tonight and and open them to 1 Peter chapter 3, if you would. 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to uh, read a few verses from 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse number 8, and I'll read through to verse 15. So if you would please stand with me in respect for God and his word as we read, uh, beginning at verse number 8 of 1 Peter chapter 3. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrariwise blessing, knowing that uh, ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips, that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Uh, Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he uh, that will harm you, if ye be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, Happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Let us pray. Father, we do love you, and we thank you for the opportunity we have to be here tonight to gather together in fellowship, to be an encouragement and a help to one another to to sing praise to your name and to lift our voice in worship. And Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the great privilege that we have uh, of the Holy Spirit to be our teacher of the word. So tonight, as, as we do open your word and look into its pages, we ask that Holy Spirit would guide and lead and teach us and instruct us. Bless the time that we will spend together. May Christ be exalted in all that will be said. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you for these things. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. What is discipleship? That's a question I want to examine over the next three Wednesday evenings. Twenty-nine years ago, I was living my life according to my own desires, my own expectations. I lived my life in the flesh and I held myself accountable to no man and to no God. But 29 years ago, whether I liked it or not, God made himself known unto me. And on November 27th, 1981, Jesus introduced himself to me. Now, before you get freaked out here, he didn't come walking through the door and say, Hi, I'm Jesus. That's not what he did. But the Holy Spirit of God quickened a dead soul, mine, made me alive. And truth was revealed to me, the fact that I was a sinner. And as a sinner, I deserved judgment And that judgment was eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. And that was my destiny, to burn forever in the lake of fire. But God, in his mercy and his grace and in his love, quickened me and gave me the truth and caused me to repent, gave me the faith that I needed to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. And from that day until this, my life has never been the same. All of my desires changed, all of my interests changed, all of my emphasis in my life changed, and it all changed to a focal point, and in that focal point is Jesus Christ. I believe there is nothing else for a Christian to do than to focus his life on his Savior, Jesus Christ. What else can you do with your life? What else should you do with your life? Your life would be lost tonight. You would be eternally... You would either have already died and and be eternally in hell, or you would be on your way there, but your life was forfeit. And God quickened you, made you alive, saved your soul... And now we owe him a debt. And it's time that God's people in America begin paying back their debts. Not just their credit card debts and their home mortgage debts. And trust me when I say we can never pay the Lord back and the Lord doesn't expect us to pay him back. But what he does expect of us is that we will live our life through him and that we will become image bearers of Christ. We're going to talk a little bit about being an image bearer on Sunday morning, so I don't want to preach Sunday morning's message tonight, because then I'll have to go to my office and write a new message. But The question is, what is discipleship? Before I can answer that question tonight, I believe it's essential that we all understand that relationship does not denote discipleship. Far too many believers today assume that by virtue of their relationship to Christ, they are also a disciple of Christ. They mistakenly assume that their personal behaviors play no role in this matter of discipleship. So let me start out tonight by stating that one can be a Christian and yet not be a disciple of Christ. By definition, a disciple is a follower, one who accepts the doctrine of another and assists in the furtherance of that doctrine. A Christian disciple is a person who receives, assimilates, and practices the principles of Christian living as taught by Jesus Christ and as outlined in the Holy Scriptures. Discipleship, then, is the process which enables a person to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter writes in First Peter chapter two, verses one and two, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings. Now he's talking about laying aside all of these behaviors, putting them down, not not continuing in them, but laying them aside. In verse 2 he says as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby God desires that upon our salvation we become we become born again we become like little newborn babies and God desires us to grow I had 3 children and when my children were born I didn't want them to stay infants now, if I knew what I knew now, I would. I would have wanted them to stay infant, but I didn't want them to stay infant. I wanted them to grow. Uh, Lord willing, if everything goes according to God's will and plan, or should I say, if my will and plan is in agreement with God's will and plan, in December I'll have a grandbaby, and I'm going to want that grandbaby to grow. Because if it stays a grandbaby, I can't go fishing with it. I can't take it camping. Can't take it to Disneyland. I want it to grow. And God wants us to grow. And that growth, that process of growth is discipleship. Now, this process requires believers to constantly examine their thoughts, words, and actions in accordance with the Word of God. it, It requires daily examination to grow. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul writes in verses 26 and 27, he states, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. The great apostle Paul said, I need to... Examine myself every day and make sure that I'm doing the right things. This is a process. Discipleship is a process of growth, it's a process of learning, and it's a process of doing. As disciples, we have the duty, as we defined earlier, to promote the doctrine of our Lord. We must commit our hearts and our minds and our entire person to the knowledge and understanding of God. We read a few moments ago in 1 Peter chapter 3 that we should always be ready to give testimony for the hope that is within us and disciple others to walk in his way, as we read in 1 Peter 3:15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. With meekness and fear. Oh, I can't tell you how many times people have come up to me and, and, and to to ask me about my faith. And and a disciple is one who who has prepared himself and he's studied and and he's grown and he knows uh, what to say. You know there are opportunities that God gives us. Uh, there, it's called seasons of the soul, and there are times in a person's life when they are naturally inclined. To, to, to have an interest in God. And those opportunities may not come along very often. So when they do, you and I as God's children need to be prepared. We need to be ready to give testimony of our faith in Christ. And, and the reason we have such hope. So we must be prepared. So now that we have correctly identified discipleship, as the process of growth in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'd like to take some time over the next three Wednesday evenings to identify the elements of discipleship. So tonight we're going to look at two, Lord willing, if I can shut up and stay moving in my notes. We should get through two tonight. So number one on your study sheets, the first element of discipleship is the word commitment. Commitment. And commitment is putting God first. Putting God first. I'd like for you to take your Bibles with me, if you would, and let's turn together to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter number 8. And let's begin reading at verse number 34. And I'll read through to the end of the chapter. Mark chapter 8, beginning at verse 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the Gospels... The same shall save it. I've had people over the years that have told me, "I'm too busy to serve God. I I I have other plans. I have other agenda." You know, before I got saved, I never dreamed that I would be a preacher. It, It never entered my 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 frame of of thought. So we, don't, we really don't, don't know for sure what God's will for us is until he presents it. God's will kind of just comes up and just slaps us in the face. That's it. But Jesus said here, those people who are willing to lose their life for, the, for, for Christ's sake, they're going to find their life. And those who try to hold back their life from Christ will ultimately lose that life. Okay, let's read on. Verse 36, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever, therefore, shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now, notice with me, if you would, the words... Back in, in verse number thirty-four, where we read, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Deny himself. What, what what is the Lord talking about there? Well, there are some things that if we are to be a disciple of Christ, we're going to have to deny ourselves of. We're going to have to deny ourselves of ungodly practices. Certain things we just won't be able to do. We're going to have to deny ourselves of worldly lusts. Listen, Christians, you and I are not, we are not of the world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. And I, and I fear that far too many of our Christian people have fallen in love with the world. We, we don't want all, the, all of the sin and, and unrighteousness of the world, but we want all the conveniences and, and all of the uh, 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 entertainments of the world. And we've tainted ourselves. We need to deny ourselves of worldly lust. We need to deny ourselves of unwise companionships. You no, know, the Bible says, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise. But a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And teenagers and young people, yes, you better be careful who you associate with. We have to deny ourselves if we, if we want to be a disciple. Now, remember, you, you don't have to be a disciple. But if you want to be, there are some things you're going to have to do. And one of the things here, you're going to have to deny yourself of some things. That's what Jesus said. You're going to have to deny ourselves of self-righteousness and pride and, and so many other things. So he says, let him deny himself. Then he says, take up his cross. These are the burdens that we bear in the Christian life. Not the problems we face because of our own carelessness. With self-pitying pride, we we too often apply foolishness to cross-bearing. Taking up our cross is intended to imply that that we must, with patience and strength, receive and bear the persecutions and trials that accompany discipleship. Remember, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, verse 12, Paul writes, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He didn't say, if you live for Jesus, you might have a hard time. He says, if, you're, if, you, if you desire to live for Jesus, to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. Therefore, keeping with the context of the scriptures, I believe that the Lord is telling us that we must be willing to, to pay any cost to be his disciple. And this this interpretation agrees with the statement made by Jesus in Mark chapter 8 and verse 35 where he states, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the Gospels, the same shall save it. So when Jesus tells us to take up our cross and follow him, he is implying that in order to be his disciple... We must be willing to follow him, to put him first at any cost. So, Christian, tonight, let me ask you, how willing are you to follow Jesus? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means, first, losing your friends? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, we read, At my first answer, no man stood with me. But all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Paul was forsaken by everyone he knew. And Jesus, in Scripture, warned us that the world would hate us as much as it hated him. In John chapter 15 and verse 18, Jesus states, If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. Now, this may seem like a small thing, but it is bigger than we think. And this fear has been used, this fear of losing acquaintances, this fear of losing friendship has been used to keep many people from following the Lord and from becoming disciples of Jesus. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your friends? I could stand here tonight and and give you stories of of acquaintances that once I got saved and I I, I began to witness to those people and began to talk to them of salvation and and Christ, how, how they pushed me out of their lives. And there is a price we pay. For discipleship, and sometimes, sometimes, in order to be a disciple of Christ, we have to lose some friends. But then, are you willing to follow Jesus if it means, secondly, alienation from your family? In Luke chapter 12, we read from verses 51 through 53, Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth, this is the Lord speaking, I tell you nay, but rather division. For from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son and the son against the father, the mother against the daughter and the daughter against the mother, the mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law. Now that one's not fair because that's a natural dissension. And the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Don't you know no girl is good enough for a mama's boy? Alienation from our own family. You know, there have been times that I have had to stand all alone on a spiritual issue. My parents did not stand with me. My siblings did not stand with me. There have even been times when my children did not agree with me. And If you strive to be a disciple of the Lord, there will be times when you will be alienated, even from your own family. But let me ask you this. Is there a cost too great for the Lord? Is there anything that we would have to give up that God is not worthy of that thing? Consider this, that Jesus laid aside all things for me, And at one point, he was even alienated from God the Father for me. In Matthew 27, verses 45 and 46, we read now, From the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And God himself, Jesus became alienated from his own father so that he might ransom me. Is there any cost too great for me to pay for him? And this was a willing act by the Father and the Son for the satisfaction of the justice of God. And so it is with you and I. We must be willing to pay the cost of even our most precious relationships for the cause of Christ. Are you willing to lose your friends? Are you willing to become alienated from your family? And then thirdly, let me ask you this, are you willing to follow Jesus if it means the loss of your reputation? In Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, we read, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh... If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Now this is Paul giving us his credentials before he was saved. In verse 7 he states, But what things were gained to me... Those I counted loss for Christ. Paul was a devout Jew. He had sat under the tutelage of Gamaliel. He was a zealot among the Pharisees. And he had much to lose. And he gave it all up. In his own words, he stated, I counted them but dung. What about us today? How much prestige, how much honor, how much authority are we willing to relinquish in order to follow Christ? I had an opportunity in my life to spend a few moments with a a man named Hyman Appleman. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Hyman Appleman, but he was a he was a devout Jew. Uh, He was converted and became a Christian. His family, his family buried a coffin, an empty coffin. Uh, there's a tombstone with his name on it. His fiance broke off their engagement and wouldn't marry him. His law partners dissolved the firm and quit working with him completely. He became a total outcast from his entire family all of his friends, everyone that knew him. He just became an outcast, all because he decided that he was going to live his life for Jesus Christ. What is too great a price to pay? It may cost you your friends, it may cost you your family, it may cost you your reputation. But then fourthly, are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your life? 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes in verses 6 and 7, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Could you state, as Paul did, I am now ready to be offered? I hope that I could, and, and I hope that I would. You know, fortunately, we don't have to answer that question in America. Constitution protects us, at least for a few more generations. But imagine if you would, if you lived in a in a in a nation where they killed Christians. Several years ago I, I read an article and, and, and saw a picture of a young Somalian girl. And this young Somalian girl, she was about nine years old. Um, She got saved in a mission through the work of a missionary. And he gave her a Bible. And she went home from that mission with her Bible in her hand. And some of the Islamic uh, extremists in that village told her that she had to throw that Bible away. She couldn't keep it. She refused to let go of her Bible. She refused to give up her Bible. So these brutal, vicious men cut off her hands so she could not hold her Bible. Um, You know, sometimes I think in America we're just too soft. (laughs) We've got it too good. There's nobody coming around here threatening to cut my hands off if I hang on to my Bible. There's nobody that uh, is... is, They're not not, uh, planting beams in the parking lot to burn us at the stake uh, we're not going to be put in I'm not going to be put in jail tonight for preaching this message we're just, we're just too soft but, but let me ask you this would you be willing to follow Christ even if it meant losing your life there are many missionaries on the field who peril their lives everyday their families their children they're all in harm's way They're in in countries where Christians are hated. Yet these men are willing to, and these women and these children, are willing to put all that aside and risk their own life for Christ. So what about us? Are we willing? Could we say as Paul, I'm ready to be offered? As Christ's disciples, we must put Christ first above all things. This is the first of our tasks as disciples And it was the first of all commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 and 3, where we read, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. So first, if we are to be disciples, we are going to have to be committed, which means putting Jesus, putting God first. Secondly, if we are going to be disciples, it requires conformity. Conformity to Jesus' teachings. In John chapter 8, verses 30 and 32, we don't have time to turn to it. I'll just read it for you. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We defined a disciple as one who accepts the doctrine of another and assists in the furtherance of that doctrine. But we must state here that it is possible for one to accept something without conforming to it. Uh, speed limits. How many of you accept the fact that there are speed limits on the state on the highways in the state of California? Okay. How many of you conform to those speed limits? Ooh. I know Pastor doesn't conform to them. You see, it's possible, to, it's possible to accept something without conforming to it. Now, I find it imperative to note here that we are expected, as God's children, we are expected to conform to God's principles. In Romans 8, 29, we read, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn Among many brethren. Now, what could possibly be meant by this phrase, to be conformed to the image of his son? It would not be expedient here to just explain this away by offering a generalized statement that we will one day, after the rapture, be like Christ. To take this position would imply that what we do between the point of our repentance and the moment of our final redemption are irrelevant. For This position would state we are already predestinated to conform to Christ in that day. And this teaching would be consistent with the doctrine of many who state that perseverance is not necessary for the believer. But this is not the context nor the intent of this scripture. If that were true, then there would be no need for the Holy Spirit to come to us. After all, we would not need to understand spiritual things, nor would we need to be convicted for our sin. Since there was no expectation of perseverance or conformity, we can just choose to live godly or choose not to live godly. We could just live like we choose because in that final day, the Lord would change us to conform to his son. And this is the doctrine of a rebellious and wicked generation who seek to please their own flesh before pleasing the Lord. So is this correct? Is this what Paul meant when he said that we were predestinated uh, to conform to the image of Christ? Well, allow me to offer you an alternate, an alternate view of this verse. It is obvious, given the language of this verse, Paul is referring to God's elect saints. And we know from the scriptures, the elect are chosen to be holy. In Ephesians chapter 1, in verses 3 and 4, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. But not only are we chosen to be holy, we are called to be holy. Holy. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13, we read, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy." So we can rightly determine that in order for us to be conformed to the image of Christ we must live a life of holiness not perfection for this is impossible for sinless flesh rather holiness which is attainable for you and I through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit In 1 Corinthians 6:11 we read and such were some of you but ye are washed but ye are sanctified but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. In First Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, Peter writes, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Yes, we are admonished to conform to Christ and his teachings, and this by means of a transformation of the mind of the believer. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, Paul states, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And this transformation begins at our new birth and continues throughout our Christian life. Now with the time remaining tonight, let me share three thoughts with you concerning this matter of holiness. First, a disciple must possess holiness. And in Hebrews 12:14, we read, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. So here we're told in Hebrews that without holiness we shall not see the Lord. Therefore we must possess holiness. Oh, how many poor lost souls are wandering this world today holding to a false hope given them by men that would deny the doctrines of perseverance and holiness as evidences of salvation. These that go about claiming to be saved, claiming to be disciples, yet they show no evidence of such by means of living in holiness, I would not give you a plugged nickel for such a profession. In James chapter 2, James tells us, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Now, there are two positions to consider here. First position is is that of the neo-fundamentals of today. The new evangelicals, if you will, the the uh, neo-fundamentalists. This is what they say. You do not need works to have faith. But if you have no works, there is no evidence of your faith. In other words, they say you can have faith without works. Because you're saved without works. So you don't need any works to to prove that you had faith. Uh, But if you don't have any works, then nobody will ever know you have faith. Because there will be no evidence of your faith. And, And I can tell you that's what they believe, because that's what they taught me, and that's what I used to teach other people. So I know that's what they believe. They believe that you don't have to have any works to have faith. And... But, but if you don't have the works to go along with your faith, then no one's ever going to know that you have faith because you have no evidence uh, of your faith. And this position supports their denial of the doctrines of perseverance. We believe the doctrines of perseverance. The Bible states that he that endureth to the end shall be saved. We believe that saved people persevere in Christ. Amen? But they don't. So they, they, they do away with perseverance. Their doctrine implies it's not necessary for a believer to show forth fruits of repentance because his salvation is not based upon holiness. It's based upon his own free will acceptance of Christ. But while we're here, let me just state this, that no man accepts Christ. As if we have the authority to consider Christ and decide if he is acceptable to me or not. No, no, we don't accept Christ. Christ accepts us. In John chapter 15 and verse 16, Jesus says, You've not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. And by the way, that fruit there isn't talking about souls, it's talking about holiness. And this, by his own will and according to his own purpose, and not for anything in me did he choose me. In Romans 5, 8, we read, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died for you, died for me, when we were worthless. By the way, we're still worthless. So what's the second viewpoint? The historical Baptist position. This is what Baptists believed all the way from John the Baptist to current day. What is that? True repentance and faith produces works. True repentance and faith produces works. Therefore, if you have no works of of holiness and righteousness, you not only lack evidence of faith, you lack faith. Because true repentance and faith produces works in the heart of the believer. And I know this is true because true faith compels us to serve God. We cannot help but serve him. Jesus in John chapter 9 and verse 4 states, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. So let me make a statement. I serve God today not to gain favor with God. Rather, I serve God today because I already have favor with God. So first, without possessing holiness, one is not a disciple. But then not only must we possess holiness... Secondly, we must project holiness. First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Paul tells Timothy to be an example. I believe in leadership by example. And in this area of holiness, we must project holiness by our example, by our living. Call it lifestyle evangelism if you want to. Fact of the matter is, we should project holiness. We should walk worthy of the Lord. We should live our lives before those that see us uh, as as image bearers of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 10.23, Paul states, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Remember, just because you can do something does not mean you should do it. So we must be an example in all that we do. Listen, tonight, be an example, uh, you young parents, for your children's sake. In Ephesians 6, 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Be an example for the brethren's sake. 1 Corinthians 8, 9, But take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. I have been so blessed throughout my Christian life to have godly men as an example. You and I have the responsibility of mentoring and leading these younger Christians in our church into maturity. And then be an example for the lost sake. Titus chapter 2. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works... In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, uh, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Uh, Listen, you may be the only Bible your neighbor will ever see. So a disciple must possess holiness. A disciple must project holiness. And then, lastly, a disciple must promote holiness. Again, we don't have time to turn to Titus chapter 2. I'll just read it for you. You can read it later. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works, These things, Paul writes, speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. This is the sum of the whole matter. You and I must proclaim righteousness in our word and in our deed. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 21 through 24. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Paul summed it up best in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let's turn there and then we'll be done. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let's look at verses 1 through 5 together. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. And here, Paul tells us that we must promote, that we must project, and that we must... I forgot my own points. What was, what was B? Possess. Project. <laughs> and that we must possess holiness. My friends, tonight, if we are to be disciples of Christ, we must have commitment. God must be first in our lives. We must not put anything before the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we must have conformity. Conformity to Jesus' teachings and conformity to the Holy Scriptures. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this time. Lord, we desire to, to be your disciples. We don't just want to have a relationship with you. We want to be in submission to you. So tonight I pray that you would have taken these admonitions from your word. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would have spoken to our hearts, that you would have encouraged us. If there be any here tonight who are not saved, who do not know Christ, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would convict their hearts for their need of Christ and that they would not leave this place tonight without finding out how to be saved. Thank you, Lord, for this time we have together. I pray you would bless all in this room. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would help us to remember the things that we were taught. We ask your blessing now as we go our way. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.